Hello, this is Nikki Toyama Sito. I'm the executive director for Christians for Social Action and your host for 20 Minute Takes. This week, we're welcoming Kristen Komarniki. She's the Senior Director for Dialogue at Christians for Social Action and the director of the program, Oriented to Love. She helps us with some practical tips of what it means to transform conflict through curiosity and to navigate conflict with greater healing, compassion, and health. Kristen Komarniki, thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Takes. My pleasure. Among your many talents, uh, one of the things uh, that I think you've become known for on our staff team and in this Christians for Social Action world are these amazing candles that you sometimes make as gifts. Do you mind telling us just a bit about uh, these candles uh, that you create? They're kind of inspired by this, these, uh, I think, saints' candles that the Catholic Church uses. Yes. Um, yes, they are saint candles. And I just love the idea. I, I feel like in modern Protestantism, at least the way that I was brought up, there's a real lack of symbols and rituals. And so um, I'm very attracted to that uh, and the beauty of the color and the light. I'm a big Frida Kahlo fan. So all the sort of Mexican, beautiful Catholic symbols and colors have attracted me. Um, and so I thought that I wanted to make these candles to honor people who might not be honored. So um, social justice saints, people that were motivated by their faith to make a difference and sort of personalize them. So if I know that somebody I care about is very fond of a particular person, I'll make them a saint candle for that. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I love that. You must have quite a paper collection because they're always these like beautiful, translucent, um, almost like uh, stained glass, but made out of paper. Mm. Yes, I do. I, n- I never throw away a beautiful piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I could talk to you all day about uh, the different creative endeavors that you have, but one of the things we were so interested in having you join us um, is that you are the Senior Director of Dialogue for uh, Christians for Social Action and uh, the Director of the Oriented to Love Program. And I think one of the things that I've been so amazed um is the way that you approach difficult conversations and conflict. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what you see are the opportunities uh, that exist in the midst of conflict? Mm. Sure. I think that conflict is something that everybody lives with, and it is inevitable in any given day that we will have some kind of conflict, whether internal uh, dissonance or uh, external with our families or bigger as we engage with the news or current events. So I, and I am not a person who is uh, wired to enjoy conflict. I'm really, uh, yes, no, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a conflict avoidant, but Uh I, I do feel unsettled, pretty deeply unsettled in the presence of conflict. And I really don't like the way I feel within myself. I don't like what it brings up defensiveness or fear, anger, frustration. I don't, I don't like those feelings. So I have learned that when I lean in to conflict, when I embrace it might be too big of a word, but when I lean into it, as opposed to avoiding it, I can not only learn something, but it actually I hesitate to use the word resolve because a lot of conflicts just don't resolve. Yeah, that's true. I find that it transforms or teaches me something more quickly than if I avoid it because avoiding it doesn't make it go away. 
Well, but doesn't it make the pain go away if you can just like avoid it? No, uh, maybe for the, maybe in the short term, but in the long term, it usually just comes back with even more force because it festers. You, you gotta, you gotta he- attack things head on. That's so it's that's with you found. until you deal with it. Yes, yes, very yeah. much so. Okay, yeah, because I think if I were to do a training on conflict, it'd be see conflict and then ten ways to avoid it <laughs> or, or run the other way. I mean, I feel like uh, society these days. Um, especially when we're talking about like justice work or politics, it's just so divisive. Um, and and I think you're right that there's a way that we really can't avoid conflict. Um, but I feel like so much of what we see modeled is just, it seems to make things worse. Um, what advice do you have to for folks uh, as they're trying to engage with you know, people who have a truly different perspective or or opinion, and and it's a, a passionately held belief. Yes. Well, when it comes to dialogue, I like to say that dialogue is not something that happens like at the kitchen sink, and and it's also not something you just walk up to somebody at the bus stop and say, "Let's we're going to dialogue." Right? Dialogue is an intentional activity that has to be agreed upon by both parties and for which you can and should prepare yourself. So if you want to have real dialogue, as opposed to just two people waving their opinions at each other, if you want to lean into conflict and hope for a generative outcome, you need to, uh, one, get the agreement of the other person that we're going to have a conversation that's going to be hopefully richer, uh, and then prepare yourself for that. Uh, but that may not be the question that you asked me about what should people do when they see or feel conflict. Well, I, I think I'm just asking, maybe if you can unpack some of that preparation, um, what, what are some of the ways that you prepare yourself? Uh, for con- What do we need to be aware of in the midst of conflict? When I see that there's a conflict, for example, in my little circle of friends or in my family, I try to start by some self ex- self examination, some self awareness. What is being triggered in me here? What are the emotions that I'm bringing to this situation? Um, what am I carrying? And then I also try to see what I can affirm in the situation. Because usually, when in conflict situations, we only see red, we only see the danger, the the scary parts. So I try to say, oh, this person who I totally disagree with. Uh, who seems maybe a little unhinged to me (laughs) in their, for example, their political uh, perspective of this particular thing. But wow, they're very passionate about it. Or wow, they really care about the people involved here. Or wow, they're really engaged and they're really brave. They're willing to bring their, their opinion to the surface and share it. So I just look for one or two things that I can affirm, which just puts me in a more positive mindset. And the the third thing I do is, um, is look for a question that is open-ended and non-leading that will help me get a little better understanding of where they are. So just to summarize, the first part is really about self-regulation. Who am I and what am I bringing to it? And the second part is just setting out on a more positive uh, step. And the third part is um, looking for a way that will invite a response from the person, a real compassionately curious approach. So for example, there's a world of difference between me saying, how could you possibly believe that? (laughs) 
which has a question mark at the end of it, right? Yeah, it's it's a technically question. a question. There's a curiosity in that. <laughs> yes. But there's a, there's a hammer in my hand, and I'm using that question to bludgeon my opponent and also to share that I totally disapprove of what they believe. <laughs> so two things are happening there. I'm attacking and sharing my disapproval. There's a world of difference between that and saying, please help me understand how you came to that conclusion. I really want to understand. Now, there's no question mark there. It's not technically a question. And yet it's 100% invitation, curiosity, compassion, and respect. Because I'm assuming that they had a process by which they came to that conclusion. And I'm respectfully asking about that. So no matter how, I'm going to say abhorrent, uh, the other person's perspective or viewpoint might be, um, are you always able to find a point where you can be curious about? If I take the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If I if I reflect. Now, my husband will tell you that I do a lot of heavy venting and uh, this behind the scenes. But when I actually go to approach that person, if I'm acting out of my best self, of course, I fail many times. Um then I can I can make that happen, yeah. But that's part of that preparation. And, you know, you can pray. You can ask for other people to pray for you, depending on how important the conversation or how risky it is. You can prepare. It, it, I can, even as you're, like, talking about that and this posture of curiosity, I can see how that really sort of shifts the energy of the interaction because, you know, people want to feel heard, but you're even taking it a step further. It's not just listening to understand, but it's actually like entering into that viewpoint and, and having a genuine curiosity, like in a sense, honoring either the process or their story or something like that. Um, do you ever find yourself where that curiosity isn't reciprocated? Um, it seems like dialogue needs two people in two directions. So it, it seems like that's maybe a little bit of a, a dangerous point. Uh, what does dialogue look like when you've got one person who's, you know, sort of self-regulating and trying to be curious, and another person who's really wants to get their point across? Hmm, great question. Uh, then it's not a dialogue. Okay. But what I will do is, and that's fine. That's fine. Like I said, you can't make someone dialogue. It has to be an agreed activity. So what will usually happen in that case is that I will um, be quiet and maybe ask some more questions because either way, I'm learning. I'm learning from this person. I'm getting an idea of why they're situated the way they are. If they are not reciprocating with questions that are dialogue nurturing, then I can just um, continue to ask them questions because honestly, people who aren't interested in dialogue are usually interested in downloading their information onto you. And so I can take, I can absorb a certain amount of that. And then I, I can just sort of bring the conversation to an end. I can say, thank you so much for your time. I got a lot of insight out of this. Thank you. But if they're not reciprocating with mutual curiosity, then it isn't a conversation. So that's okay. <laughs> I think That's what you're okay. describing to me feels so much more uh, positive and and possibly um, helpful than a lot of the conflict that I see in my life and in my community around me. What are some of the common misunderstandings or myths that you think keep people from engaging with conflict in a healthy and curious way? Well, I think we talked about the first one that said, if I, if I avoid it, it'll go away. Um, I think that's a fantasy. Um, and, you know, many marriages have dissolved because people just stop talking, right? And many relationships become estranged because people haven't dared to sort of keep that um, going. Uh, another misconception. 
I think that if I talk long enough, I will be understood. <laughs> I think we 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 shouldn't necessarily go with that assumption that an understanding will be met. Um, and I, I always refer back to that prayer of Saint that's attributed to Saint Francis. You know, Lord, help me want to understand more than be understood. Uh, so if I can come out of a place of fullness myself, where I feel centered and I'm in my belovedness, you know, then I don't need to demand or extract from anybody else this um, being understood or getting what I'm getting. And I think we that can be some a common misconception too. Like I, if I press into this long enough, I will be understood. I can't control my conversation partner. I barely have control over myself most yes, of the time. That's true. So that's true. And maybe related to that, I think, is this idea of if I say it more loudly, you will understand it better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Now, there's something about conflict with people, um, maybe outside your family unit. And then conflict, I feel like, has sort of a different, it's kind of like a different animal when it comes to uh, maybe people with whom you have a lot of history or family members. Do you have any advice for transforming conflict in those places where maybe you have a lot of bad habits or it's pretty easy to get hooked and derailed? I think just being really open about your process, uh, where, where you are in the process. I think one thing that I have found very helpful is to tell people, I'm working on communicating better. I know that in the past we've taught our interactions have gone this way and I really want something better for us. So I'm trying to do something different now. And this is what I'm trying to do. And if you see me doing that well, hey, please, please acknowledge it because I can use all the encouragement I, I, I can get. And if you see me acting in a way that's not to that standard, please call that out too, because I really want to. So you're basically inviting someone else into your process and you're taking responsibility. And we make so many mistakes along the way. Anytime we're trying to learn a new skill or develop a especially challenging skill, which I think dialogue is especially challenging. Um, I have learned to just stop mid question, mid question, mid statement and say, Ooh, you know what? I just asked you a closed ended or very leading question. I'd like a redo. Asking for a redo. Uh -huh. And I have asked for hundreds of redos over the last few years, and I have never once been refused. Wow. I think people are so intrigued and sort of caught off guard, and they're like, okay. And then they can actually hear your thought process because they see you transforming a poor question into a rich invitational question. And then it's instructional for everybody. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Kristen, next time I'm having a fight within my family, I'm going to invite you and your calm demeanor <laughs> to help help guide us through this. Oh my goodness. I Because I feel like um, particularly when it comes to really divisive issues with people we care about a lot, uh, it seems like it's really hard to, you think you know why they are thinking what they're thinking. And I think it's pretty hard to press into a point of curiosity. You know, I, I, at least as I'm sort of thinking about the why I avoid certain conversations and topics with certain people, it's like, oh, you know, it's it's hard to have genuine curiosity about people you know a lot about. You've got a lot of history. Yes, so. because we project we project the past onto them, and we're not um, expecting them to do things differently. And you know, your idea of calling me in there—I mean, I know you're kidding—but how I found that to be super helpful is we have a therapist, we have a family therapist. So this outsider who's neutral can listen for those patterns that are mutually 
destructive <laughs> and can call us to new ways of thinking and seeing. And that has played a huge role in my life in terms of uh, improving my communication oh, with that's loved helpful. ones. Do you think that dialogue in like a Christian setting or dialogue within the context of the church or dialogue in the context of kind of uh, the Christian activists, do those have uh, their own particularities that we should be aware of? I feel like when it comes to things related to God or to justice issues, there is the presumption uh, that something is maybe more theological or something is more right. Like the dialogue or the conflict is winnable. Um, I don't know. Have you noticed any any ways that Christians maybe fall into something that actually makes it hard to be curious when you've got things like um, fundamental beliefs about God on the line or uh, mm. the pursuit of you know really serious justice issues? Oh, another really good question. Um, I think that because we're so emotionally and well, spiritually, emotionally, mentally tied to our faiths, they're, 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 oh, yeah. our, our, our faith is, so, is rooted in something deeper than just our minds. Yeah, it matters so much. Yeah, right? and our childhood, our emotional experiences, and what it means to be part of this community, our identity as Christians. So when Christians, I mean, on the one hand, it can be a good thing, like, oh, we all believe in Jesus, right? Let's just take the top level. Like, we all believe that Jesus was, you know, God and man. Um, so that can help provide a foundation, but it can also feel very threatening when somebody else's view uh, contrasts with yours because we get, I, I don't know, in other traditions, but in the Protestant tradition I grew up in, there was very much this idea of this is right, this is the right way to look at something, and that is the wrong way. So it can threaten our whole sense of identity if we give somebody else the benefit of the doubt, or we can, or we say, "Wow, you see things very, very different from me, but I still see the hand of God in you. I still see the Holy Spirit at work in your life." Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. One of the things that uh, you do a lot of work with is a program called Oriented to Love, and part of that are these Oriented to Love dialogues. Can you describe those just a little bit and? Are there any? Is there anything that's happened in the context of these dialogues that's really informed how you engage with conflict or holding spaces where people have really different um, perspectives? Mm. Oh yes, these these dialogues have taught me so much. So just to explain briefly, uh, an oriented to love dialogue is a group of twelve people: six people who identify as straight or cis and cisgender, and six people who identify along the queer continuum somewhere, LGBTQ plus, etc. And all of them are Jesus followers. All of them say that Christ is central to their faith walk, and uh, they agree to come together in the posture of learner in mutual vulnerability, and they agree to be brave with each other. So there's an eight-week preparation process where they start practicing um, vulnerability by introducing themselves, by sharing some of their baseline beliefs, by uh, sharing their hopes and fears about the, the dialogue itself. And uh, so they come together. They Most of them are meeting for the very first time, and it's a completely confidential uh, experience. But we spend a weekend together asking each other hard questions across deep difference and listening to each other in love. So that's a very, very quick <laughs> description of what, of what happens. And the second part of your question was, what have I learned? Yeah, from, from, from leading these, you know, for so many years, you've led these dialogues. How has that influenced how you view conflict or your approach to conflict? 
Oh, in so many ways. I think at one level, just watching people walk bravely towards a weekend of discomfort Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) has given me um, a sense of the courage that it takes to lean into hard conversations and to know that your assumptions and beliefs will be challenged. Mm. And so witnessing that, I am not engaged in the conversation. I am holding the conversation. So it's in some ways, it's much more relaxing for me to sort of be on the outside holding people yeah. um, than to be in the midst of it. But I so I see their courage and I see the beautiful gifts of that, which is uh, relationships across steep difference, which, uh, I mean, one of the things I've personally learned is I used to think that when people were mad at me or disagreed with me, mm-hmm. like that just used to take me out. Yeah. Like I would just be done for a couple of days, or I would just be so distraught. And now I see, wow, there's some real riches in here if we dare to lean into it. For Mm -hmm. one thing, I'm going to learn something I didn't know before. And for another thing, I'm going to be challenged to articulate my beliefs in a way that it's so it's so easy to be lazy with what we believe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I believe this because my mom told me, you know, uh-huh. I believe this because uh, I read it somewhere. But when someone's asking real, compassionately curious questions, then I'm forced to articulate, oh, well, that I was really influenced by this certain thing, but I oh. have never actually experienced that myself. So I don't really know uh-huh. why I believe that. Yeah. Or, you know, that's one example. Uh-huh. So, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? Yeah. Do you have a story that sort of illustrates what it is that you hope for? Um, when you see somebody leaning into conflict? The first one that comes to my mind is the one I'll share. <laughs> there, have, there have been so many, but uh, I know that one really beautiful moment happened when, um, oh, for lack of better terms, I'll just use conservative label, uh, shorthand labels, but a conservative pastor straight was in a group and there was also, and there was a progressive pastor who was gay. And this progressive man kept using scripture kept quoting scripture and telling the stories of Jesus in really beautiful ways. And I could see that this conservative pastor was intrigued by this progressive man using this all just sort of marinating in scripture. And he, he, he said that he said, wow, you are talking more about scripture than anybody else in this dialogue. And when I came into this, I assumed that anyone like you you know, a gay man living with, you know, yes, in a a partnership with a same-sex partner, um, didn't respect or didn't have a high view of scripture or didn't love the scriptures or didn't understand the scriptures like I do. And yet I see that you do, like you have a very vibrant relationship with the scriptures. So that was a beautiful aha moment. And those are the moments that, of course, I look for when people can recognize the Imago Dei in someone they thought couldn't possibly have what they think they have. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. That's fantastic. I appreciate the vulnerability of that pastor saying, you know, this is actually what I came in with. And then this is what I noticed that sort of changed that mind. Well, Kristen Komernicki, Senior Director of Dialogue with Christians for Social Action. Thank you so much for joining us. I think um, the work that you do and helping to make soft places for really difficult conversations is such a great ministry. And we're so grateful for the work that you do. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Nikki. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. Our music was created by Andre Henry, and our show is produced by David Delion. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasita, and if you want to find out more about our work, visit the website 
at christiansforsocialaction.org. Thank you.